0: And I got to tell you, I can't remember the last time I've heard so much feedback on a series that we've done as I did last uh, weekend and last week and on social media. Um, Somehow or another, this series is just resonating uh, in a way uh, because I think we see so much division in our world uh, that this idea of one just seems to be resonating. So I appreciate you being here today for the second part of it. Um, so uh, do you know how in the state of Alabama to start a good church fight? anybody know how to start a good church fight? Sorry, I'm just slightly malicious, so you know, mischievous, I should say, not malicious, mischievous. Um, so here's how. How many Auburn fans do we have? Oh, OK. All right, yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to rest yesterday. Now wh- where's all our disappointed Alabama fans? Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It hurt, didn't it? Didn't it hurt? It hurt, yeah. You're just sitting there watching it in disbelief thinking, you know, this can't be happening. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if you really wanted to stir a group of people up, you could start talking about their team, right? You know, you might, you might have a problem. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, there's probably some people today that are at home because they have, you know, college football hangover or whatever, whatever they got. You know, they can't get out of the mully grubs. And so, you know, everywhere you go in our community, you see this, this, um, these license plates and these little yard signs that say, you know, a house divided. And you have, you know, orange and blue and red and white, you know, house divided. And then you have these families that have been divided and these, you know, marriages that are divided. And, and, uh, and we laugh about it, but um, you, you, some people take it pretty seriously. Uh, I, I always shudder when I go to a funeral and we go to the burial, and I look at the tombstones, the, the grave capstones that say, you know, War Eagle, <laughs> a roll, whatever you want to put in the middle there, tied. And I think, really? Like, that's what you're li- like? you have one opportunity to engrave something in stone that people would remember you for, and what you want to be remembered for is division. Really? I mean, you want to be known for that, you know, this was my team. Can I tell you, they don't even know who you are. And they don't care who you are, as long as you keep buying the ticket. That's really all they care about, right? But I don't know if you know this, but we're a state that's known for division. One of the most fiercest divisions in the whole country, people will tell you. That, you know, the Big Ten tries to pretend. You know, and the other try to pretend like Michigan and Ohio State. Ooh, you know, like that's a big division. You're like, no, no, you want to learn where the division is. You come down south. Like, we'll show you how to fight about football. Yeah. We're known for that. Unfortunately, that's not all the division we're known for. We're, we're also, we also have a deep history of racial division in, uh, in Alabama. I, I remember um, the first time I went to Selma. I'd never been to Selma, but I'd heard of Selma. I'd read about Selma in history books. But a few years ago, my son had a basketball game there, and I drove into Selma, and it just didn't even cross my mind where I was going. And as I pulled into Selma, and I saw how how broken and how dilapidated and the funk that rests over that city, and I pulled, uh, as we turned a corner, we, we were looking for the stadium, and I started passing these old, dilapidated um, row houses, you know, that had no air conditioning, and uh, oh, and it just, I, I, I literally, as I drove in my car to the, here we are on a game, and and I'm 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 holding back tears because I know it's like part of my imagination, but I, as I went past, I could I could hear people screaming inside those houses, suffering, and I was thinking, Jesus, what did we do? Like how how did that how did that happen? Now, now, where are we supposed to find the answers to that kind of division and pain? Well, I would look at John 17. John 17 has an answer. John 17, 20, Jesus is praying, and he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, all Christians who live in all places and all times, this is who Jesus is praying for. He says that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be one. Look at verse 23. I am them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then what's going to happen? and then the world will know that you sent me, have loved me, even as uh, you loved me. You love them even as you love me. So Jesus has this prayer that kind of moves deeper in stages or unpacks in depth as he goes. He starts with one, Father, my, pr- my prayer is that they would be one, and then he goes to complete unity, and then he rests the weight of the credibility of the testimony of the church on that prayer and says, and then the world will know. Like, not until then. And then he even takes it a step further and says, you know what, in fact, I pray that their unity would be like, Father, my Jesus' unity, the the unity between the Son and the Father. What more could he say? There's nothing else deeper you can say. So in this series, we've been talking about one. Last week, we talked about one tribe, and we talked about uh, generational cultures. Today, we're going to call it uh, one people, and we're talking about racial cultures. So unfortunately, the church hasn't always lived up to Jesus' prayer. Let me give you a little example. The most segregated hour in America is still Sunday morning. Like, it's, it's 2019, and we're still there. Let me, let me give you the statistic. 90% of all churches in America are 90% one race. So, so what does that mean? White churches tend to be all white, black churches tend to be all black, and Hispanic churches tend to be all Hispanic. Is it possible one of the reasons the church in America struggles to make an impact is because of our lack of oneness? How how, how many of you like tomatoes? Yes, good. I love tomatoes. I was hoping it wouldn't be like, some people are creeped out by tomatoes. I love tomatoes. The, the, The thing is, though, if you've never had a real one, you know what I'm talking about? It's not. It doesn't work. If you've only eaten those tomatoes that they've picked off the vine, green, that they grew in a greenhouse and shipped across the country in the back of a tractor trailer and let sit in the shelf in a bag so that it could ripen, and then you take that thing home and eat it, that's not a tomato. I'm just telling you, that's not a tomato. When uh, when Stacy and I were dating. Uh, I brought her home to meet my family, and it was at one of the early times she had come to my house. And, and uh, my, my, my dad was raised in the country. Like, he was raised poor in the country. They grew food. You know what I'm talking about? You wanted to eat, you had to grow it. You had to grow it or kill it, hunt it, find it, something like that. And so we always had a big garden. Like, it was just in his DNA. And uh, I remember she came home once, and she was talking about, I was asking her about what she liked. And she said she didn't like tomatoes. I said, you don't like tomatoes. You know, I was thinking, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? You can't not like tomatoes. And I said, well, would you just try one of the tomatoes? And it just happened to be late spring, right at the beginning of summer. And my dad had these massive tomato plants that grow out the top of the wire thing and fold over. You know what I'm talking about? Just loaded with big red tomatoes. That Tennessee sunshine had just ripened them up real nice. We went out there and pulled one right off the vine. Shined it up real good. I cut that thing open. I said, try that. And I was just staring at her, you know. And she took a bite and she said, that's good. I said, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's a tomato. I don't know what you've been eating at your house, but that's a tomato. How many of you know there's a difference between a frozen tomato or a winter tomato, you know what I'm talking about, and a real tomato? Is it possible one of the reasons some people don't like tomatoes because they've never tasted the the real thing? And could it be that one of the reasons that the church doesn't make an impact and there's so much uh, our faith is uh, insufficient and ineffective in reaching our country is because people look at the church and it looks just like everything else. It looks like a plastic tomato. There's something not real about it. There's something not different about it. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says, there's one body one spirit, just as you were called to one of one body. Disunity is an obvious challenge to being the one body the Bible talks about, but there's another one, another factor that's not so easy for us to see. We can see that. We can look on the outside and see that, but we can't. There's another one that we don't notice because it's so much a part of our culture. It's so fundamentally a part of us, we don't even notice it. We breathe it. We drink it. We, we, we live in it. And, and I'm just going to call it individualism. Individualism says, I value things first by how they impact me, and second by how they impact others. That's what extreme individualism says. So now you might ask, how's that a hindrance to Jesus' prayer being answered that we become one? One. Well, because we tend to think about the Christian life in terms of questions like these. How am I doing with God? How is my walk with Christ? Am I growing? Now look at the second half of the questions. We tend to not think about the Christian life in terms of these questions. How's my church doing with God? How's my church walking with Christ? Is my church growing? But I just want to submit to you for your consideration that the second three questions have a lot more to do with the vibrancy of Christian faith than the first three. They're better questions if you want to measure the vitality of the Christian life. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, His intent, now this is a big, giant, lofty verse but I want to unpack it a little bit this morning. His intent, God's intention, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Now, don't get thrown off by all the verbiage. Here's what you basically need to know about this verse it says, God is revealing his wisdom to all of those who oppose him. Okay, that, that's what it says. So, what is man's wisdom? If we're going to see the difference in God's wisdom, man's wisdom is conquest and slavery and economic oppression and violence and power and greed and racism and division and individualism. God's wisdom is build one another up, encourage one another, strengthen one another, love one another, be one. So, you see the difference? That's man's wisdom, that's God's wisdom. So, How does God or where does God reveal his wisdom? Look back at Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now, where does he reveal his wisdom? Through the church. Why can't you and I live a vibrant Christian life without the church? Because we can't have a revelation of the wisdom of God outside the church. We can't individualize the faith and custom, customize the faith and tailor make the faith to ourself and it's a plastic tomato. But if you want the real thing, it's in the church that the wisdom of God is revealed. So in this context, this verse is saying God is, God is doing something new that he had never done before on the earth. He had revealed himself and his wisdom through Israel in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, he's going to reveal his wisdom in a different way. And that wisdom is going to be revealed through the church. His wisdom is being revealed through the church by all those that oppose him. And what is that revelation of wisdom? What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. That Jews and Gentiles can both be part of the church. That's the wisdom. That was revolutionary. Individualism says, it doesn't matter if my church ever reaches the kind of oneness Jesus prayed for. What matters is that I'm being ministered to. And individualism says, if I'm not being ministered to the way that I think I ought to be here, I'll just go find a better church who will minister to me. And we'll evaluate the vitality of our faith by what the church is doing for us. We don't measure the vitality of the church by how we are contributing to its unity. But in the New Testament, that's a greater measurement. So the New Testament understanding of the church says what happens to the church is infinitely more important than what happens to any one of us individually because the church is the hope of the world. It is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed, not through the individual. God's wisdom's not revealed through you, and it's not revealed through me. It's revealed through us. So if if we get that right, it changes a lot of things. So Jesus' prayer that we would be one will never be answered if we live racially divided and individualistic lives. We can keep feeding these plastic tomatoes to Shelby County, but it's not going to make a difference because it tastes like everything else they're eating. But when you feed the real thing, somebody says, I never had nothing like that. Give me some more of that. So there's two things you and I can do if you want to take notes today. There's two things you and I can do to help become the one people that God, that Jesus prayed for. We can actually be the answer to Jesus' prayer. How do we do it? Number one, renew your mind. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, in your relationships, notice the context, not not in your attitude toward yourself, not in your thoughts about yourself, in your relationships with one another. See the context? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Mmm, that changed a lot of things. So we're to have the same thinking as Jesus did and how we think about each other and how we relate to each other so we have to test our thoughts to determine are they coming outside of us from our culture or are they coming inside of us from the from the person of jesus christ living in our heart where's this thought coming from so imagine how challenging this would be to live out when the bible was written and and the times the new testament was written the roman culture was huge on social status Many of the Jews didn't think the Gentiles, uh, the non-Jews, should even be part of the church. Women had very little status or rights at all, and a good number of people were slaves. They were the legal property of other people. So this was the culture in which the New Testament church started, and and what was the church's answer to all of this? Galatians 3, 28, this is what Paul the Apostle wrote to one of these churches. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. There it is again. So the New Testament standard for a church was that when you were in the world, you might have a high status, you might have a low status, you might be rich, you might be poor, you might be slave, you might be Gentile, you might be Jew, you might come from the wrong side of the tracks, you might come from who knows what. But when you come together as the church, you're one, you're equal because you're one in Christ. Now now I want you to imagine for a minute what a first-century New Testament church might look like. So you might gather together oftentimes in homes. Imagine gathering in somebody's home for a Bible study and and you would see Jews and Gentiles and slaves and women and anybody else so can you imagine a wealthy Roman official sitting next to a pious Jew sitting next to a common woman with no rights sitting next to a slave who'd been given permission by his master to have a couple hours off to go to the bible study that was scandalous There's no other place in society in the first century that you would ever have that cross-section of people meeting together in one place. It was scandalous and it was revolutionary and it was a revelation of the wisdom of God because in Christ, all human boundaries have have been transcended. The wisdom of God says in Christ we're one. So what would it look like for us to renew our mind? Let me just give you one example of what it might look like, okay? It's incorrect for me to call myself a white Christian. That is an incorrect statement. Why? Why is it incorrect? It's incorrect for us to say we are white Christians or black Christians or Hispanic Christians or Asian Christians. Why? It's incorrect because white becomes an adjective and black becomes an adjective, and it's the job of the adjective to modify the noun. So let me show you what this looks like. If you have a white, black, Hispanic, Asian uh, modifying the noun, modifying the noun, you can see that it is the job of the adjective to tell the noun what to do. Right? If Christian is the noun and black and white is the adjective, the noun must conform to what the adjective says it is. So a Christian must look white or look black or look Hispanic or look Asian because the role of the noun is to receive the definition that the adjective gives to it. So the noun looks like what the adjective says it ought to be. But now let's flip that around and see what it should look like. It should look like this. Christian always has to be the adjective and the noun has to be the race. Because Christianity must always be the adjective and my race must always be the noun so that the noun always looks like what the adjective says it is. So my humanity must always be defined by my Christianity. Whenever my culture tells me who I am and my Christianity does not tell me who I am, then I've got to serve notice on my culture that you're wrong and my Christianity and my faith and what Jesus says is right. So, the the only way we ever become one is we become one in Jesus, which means Jesus has to be first. So, we have to renew our mind with the mind of Christ. All right, number two. Here's the last point live in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's God. He's a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven, the Holy Spirit came to earth. Now God was no longer limited in one human body, but he was free to fill the whole world with his presence. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit gives us power to do things that we cannot do on our own. What does the power of the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like spiritual gifts. And the Bible says that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Most have more. So what is a spiritual gift? I'll just give you a few. There's a long list. Hospitality. Leadership. Administration. Serving. Giving. Prophecy. Helps. Encouragement. Faith. Discernment. God has given every Christian spiritual gifts. He has empowered every Christian to do what they could not do without the grace gifting of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the five core values of our church says this God gifted you to grow you. All right? So, we oftentimes, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we talk about, hey, God gave you gifts because He wants to grow you, but why does God care if you grow? What does that matter? We usually spend all of our time trying to decide, what gift did God give to me? But we spend very little time asking, why do I have gifts? why does God want me to grow? Here's why. The answer is God gave you spiritual gifts because when you use those gifts to build up the church, it brings the church into unity. The greater purpose, the the cosmic purpose that God gave any one of us gifts is because when we use them together, it brings the church into unity. It brings, God has an end game in mind. And he gave you gifts, he didn't give me. And he gave me gifts, he didn't give you. And he gave you gifts, he didn't give you. Because we all need each other. And when we mash those gifts together and use them, everything is covered. And it creates a glorious unity and dependence because we go, man, I I needed you more than I thought. And there's the revelation of the wisdom of God. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, that's the using of the gift, so that the body of Christ may be built up, and what's verse 13? Until we all reach unity, oneness. So one of God's laced-in strategies... For unifying the body of Christ is not giving any one person all the gifts, but giving each one of us some of them so that we might become one. I I, I feel sorry for people who don't use their gift. You're disunified. Because the power that the Holy Spirit gave you to come into alignment with the body so that it might flow in effectiveness and energy is not happening. So why is it important that you use your gift? Because God gave you your gift that it might pull you into alignment with the body and the head is Christ. So it's critical that you do find your gift and you use it. No branch of the church... Has achieved greater unity between blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians and men and women and rich and poor people than Pentecostals. Now, now let me look, whatever your theology is, let me give you some historical facts, okay? That proves this the more surrendered a group of people are to the Holy Spirit, the more unity in diversity they see. So does that make sense? That just makes sense. So our tribe is the, is the assembly of God. Some of you maybe didn't even know that. Our fellowship, our network that we're connected to are the assemblies of God. Now, the assembly of God is the most um, diverse Protestant fellowship in America. I want to give you a few stats that are, that are current as of 2018. Over, AG just stands for assembly of God. Over half the Assembly of God is under 35 years old in America. All these are in America. 44% of the Assembly of God in America are ethnic minorities. And 24% of all AG, I'm sorry, that should say ministers. I, that's my mistake, not missionaries, ministers. Ordained, credentialed ministers in America are, are women. The more surrendered you live to the Holy Spirit, the more unity and diversity you will have. Because that's the alignment, that's the agreement, that's the answer to Jesus' prayer of oneness. Nineteen years ago, led by uh, Pastor Ron Cox, several leaders from this church got together and said, what does God want to do in this church? And they spent months together praying and talking and, and discussing and honed down into a statement what they believed God wanted to do in this church. This church was not very diverse at that time. This is 19 years ago, almost 20 years ago. But they wrote a statement, and I've got a copy of it. Uh, it says, Kingwood Vision, April twentieth, 2000. And I want to read to you, One, there's four sentences on it. I want to read to you one sentence. This is what was in the heart of those people nearly 20 years ago. Equipping the family of God for ministry through word and lifestyle, we will defy racial, economic, and generational barriers as we embrace cultural diversity. That's what what was in the heart of this church 20 years ago. Now I want to show you Uh, it'll take a a minute for me to explain this, but I want to show you where we stack up today in relationship to our community. So you can't reach people who aren't in our community because they're not here. But you ought to be, every church, in order to be a New Testament, fully functioning, effective church, ought to be a reflection of its community. And in 2000, I don't think Kingwood Church was. We took an extensive survey in our church in 2017. I want to show you the the numbers. In in a 10-minute drive of Kingwood Church, the population's 81% white. In 2017, Kingwood Church was 82% white. In a 10-minute drive, the population around our church was 12% black, Kingwood Church, 11%. Hispanic, 8%. Kingwood, 8%. And I actually put the little nuance under the Asian population because it was ironic. It was identical. 1.4 to 1.4. As Kingwood Church followed the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit began to mesh together our church in an incredible diversity. And i got to be honest, when I first moved here, I took it for granted, but the longer I've lived here and the more I've looked around, the more I've thought, you know, we're the exception. And that, I don't think, I'm grateful, but I'm disturbed. Every church should be an answer to Jesus' prayer. Shouldn't it? You may have never heard of William Seymour, but I want to tell you a little bit about him. He was born in 1870 to former slaves in Louisiana. He was on the verge of death from smallpox when he had an encounter with God that changed his life. He learned some theology from a man named Charles Parnham, but the only way he could learn theology from Charles Parnham was to sit outside the building where he taught and leave the door cracked, and just listen in the door, because he he was black, so he wasn't allowed inside, but I wish that was the worst that he endured, he endured a lot of other things worse than that, but Seymour heard a call from God, and he went to Los Angeles, and a three-year revival broke out in William Seymour's church, and although Seymour was, was black and partly blind in one eye and not very well educated, God used him to achieve unity between the races in a time that, that disunity was the highest in, a, in, a, in American history. So Seymour spent more time praying than preaching. And they experienced kind of a Pentecost. And in just a few days, listen, in just a few days... From the time that revival started, with not even a month, in a few days, that all-black congregation started to blur and mix, and people from different races and different backgrounds and different places began to show up at that little uh, prayer meeting. And what happened at Azuzu Street touched the nation, and it touched the whole world. The, the fellowship I told you about, the Assemblies of God, that's where our roots come from. Like there wouldn't be an Assemblies of God if it weren't for those influences. One journalist said the color line was washed away at Isuzu. Seymour put it like this. Pentecost makes us love Jesus more and love our brothers more. It brings us into one common family. You know why I think God used William Seymour? You know why I think God used a black man in the early 1900s? Because it was a way, it was the most effective way at that point that God could reveal the manifold wisdom of God. It didn't come through a polished orator. It didn't come through some third generation leader. It came from an unexpected place. And God's wisdom was on full display. So everybody could see. One people doesn't mean that we stop being different. We don't stop being male. We don't stop being female. We don't stop being black or white or Hispanic or Asian. It's just that our hearts have gotten captured by something greater than our differences. And that is the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. We've been captured by him. Come on, that's something you can clap about today. Isn't that right? There's healing and wholeness in Jesus. There's unity in Jesus. I grew up in a, in a very um, racially divided community. I grew up in a, in a rough part of Memphis. You know, a few years before I was born, uh, Dr. King was shot there. And boy, the pain just reverberated through that city. People hated each other. I'm, I'm talking about, I grew up in a time of hatred. Anger and hatred. And I saw the devastation and the pain. As, and as I came to Jesus as a teenager, God began to wash me and do healing in my life. And, um, and I remember when, when Stacy and I had, had began to have kids, I remember saying, I don't, I don't want our kids to grow up in this world. I don't want our kids to be like this. I, I don't want them to know hatred. I don't want them to know anger. I don't want them to know judgment. I don't want them to know this. And, <laughs> and I remember when... Uh, i went to our it 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 touched me so deeply we went to our son's kindergarten you know how kids would do a little play you know a little kindergarten thing they'll dress up and something you know and uh he did his little thing you know we went and watched him on stage and afterwards um we wanted to get a picture and uh, he wanted to get a picture with his two buddies and his two buddies were black and as they sat there, I still got that picture. And as he sat there together, he sat right there between those two kids. And you know what? I love? He didn't know they were black. He, he didn't know. <laughs> no, nobody ever said, hey, there are certain kinds of people. Nobody ever said any of that. And I said, Jesus, you make the difference. God, you make the difference. And I was so grateful that he, they were just his friends. He didn't, he didn't know anything about it. He didn't think anything and I thought, God, had I not found you, his life would be different. And my life would be different. But in Jesus, there's healing. In Jesus, there's wholeness. In Jesus, there's oneness. So this morning, what, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to pray together. Remember, remember when we sang that song, Spirit Move? <laughs> Man, you know, for us to ever overcome our differences, it really takes a work of God. Doesn't it? So I, I want to ask you if you'd do something with me. Would you just stand with me? And um, I think... Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Here's my belief, okay? And, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's what I believe. At least it's what I believe today. And I've believed it for a while. I believe it's always the responsibility of the majority to welcome and include the minority. I believe that's where the responsibility rests. And so in Shelby County, that's about, you know, 80, 81%, I think it was, white, then I think that says that it's the responsibility in our community for the white community to welcome and to include the other uh, parts of the community, the other ethnic backgrounds. So um, Ephesians 3 calls that a revelation of the manifold wisdom of God. (laughs) And I've just been praying and I wonder today if we might see a revelation of the manifold wisdom of God here today. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite, you you don't have to do this if you don't want to do it, but I would like to invite every um, ethnic minority in the room if, I want to invite you to come and stand with me. Uh, you don't have to uh, turn around, You can just come, come and stand at the front and face face me here. And I want to I want to have a time of prayer. And so if you're if you're an ethnic minority or if you maybe are in an interracial relationship, maybe maybe you are you know um, white, but you're married to someone who's who's um, who's not or. You know, maybe there's a blend family. I'd love for you to come and stand with me. Would you come and just stand with me? You'd honor me if you'd stand with me. Yeah. Love for you to stand with me today. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Yeah, on the worship team, would you come? Everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you bring the lights up a little bit? Could you bring the lights up just a little bit more? I I I think what we're seeing today is a revelation of the manifold wisdom of God. Do you agree with that? I believe that. I I want you to know something. This church cannot reveal God's wisdom without you. How could we? We don't have any ability to. It's only when we come together under Jesus that we have the ability to reveal the wisdom of God to this community and be a real tomato. (laughs) Don't you want to be a real tomato? Could I ask our prayer team if you'd come? And I just want you just to circle around this group. We just want to pray. That's all we're going to do, okay? We want to pray for you today, and we want to pray for us as one church. Would you just gather around, prayer team? Pastors, if you're in the room, just gather around and pray, okay? I'm honored that you'd stand with me. That honors me. And it honors the Word of God, and it honors the church, and it honors Jesus. I'm very honored. And I want to pray today that God would um, mesh our hearts deeper. That we'd be more connected to each other than we are to, you know, anything else. Because we're in Jesus together, right? Would you just pray with me? Holy Spirit, I I believe there's something about this moment that's very pleasing to you. (laughs) Lord, we prayed earlier that you would move, and I believe you're moving. I believe today we are seeing... A revelation of the manifold wisdom of God it's not the division that we see in the world it's not the it's not the frustration we see in the world it's it just looks like a plastic tomato but Lord today what we're sharing is the real thing now God we don't believe for a minute that we're perfect and that we figured it all out and that we're done but God we ask you to help us today to take another step in oneness and in unity and in following the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be the, a deeper revelation of the wisdom of God to Shelby County in the world. God, I pray today that you'd cover over this group of people a blessing, that we'd be one people. We pray for blessing and unity and encouragement and strength and acceptance and oneness. God that we would be one we'd go beyond the color of our skin we'd go beyond the language that we speak we'd go beyond the the childhood experience of how we might have been raised we'd go beyond suspicion we'd go beyond criticism and we would lift our eyes up to one Lord and one faith and one church and one Savior and one God and one Father of all who is in all Lord raise up today raise up today God raise up today. In Jesus' name. Raise up today in Jesus' name. God, just do just do a work of healing. Just do a work of healing. Just do a work of healing. I, I, I want to say one more thing. I, I didn't even plan to say. Because I want to show you how in the body of Christ. There's healing. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's got it all worked out. Right? So we have to be patient with each other. When I was a young man, I had a lot of father wounds. And, and, uh, and, I, and I still had some racial tension inside me. I didn't know it was there. And there's an incredible man uh, in, in the first church we served in who was a, a retired military and police officer uh, named William. William was a black man. And he's a good brother, and he's a good dad, and a good husband. And I remember one Sunday, he reached over. I don't even remember what we were talking about. He reached over and grabbed me and hugged me. And I want to tell you what happened when he hugged me. There's some part of my father wound that was healed that day. I don't even know what it was. But having a man of his goodness that hugged me, helped me. And there was a part of racial tension inside my heart that if I'm honest with you, I didn't even know it was there. And as He hugged me and held me, it's like it just squeezed it out. And I reached out and hugged Him back and cried, and the Holy Spirit did something in me. Can I, Is it okay if I'm just that honest? Is that okay? So, so here's what happens. When we welcome each other and love each other, You never know. There just might be more going on than you think. Right? There just might be more going on than you think. And so today, as we leave this place, it's our job to be that, what William was to me. It's our job to welcome and receive and love and honor and reach a hand out and be the first one that does it. Take the initiative. So... Lord, thank you thank you for today. I I just feel like you're doing something special. God, I just ask you to, beyond the frailty of my own words and the transparency of my own life, God, do what only really you can do. Like we're just all here, (laughs) imperfect people, longing for you to do something better than what we see in the world around us. And that's exactly what you prayed for. So God, make us a church of love. Make us a church of unity. In Jesus' name. Hey, as we dismiss this morning, would you just reach out and make a connection with somebody? Would you do that? Hug somebody maybe and love them. Man, let's practice it, okay?